You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. Christmas is the most extravagant, farthest-reaching Christmas holiday, this holiday. I, I even got a, an email today, or a text actually, it was a video from pastors, friends of mine in Russia, all excited to send a greeting of Merry Christmas to us and actually to y'all. There is just something about the holiday that lights up all of our worlds. The, the first lines of the Christmas song we just heard said, light of the world, treasure of heaven. Brilliant like the stars in the wintry sky, joy of the Father, reach through the darkness, shine across the earth, send the shadows to flight. The Bible begins this way. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. In the beginning, God. Those first four words are pregnant with meaning. They announce that God's presence preceded everything that we know to be. The beginning of creation was formless, it was dark, and it was empty. But was it really empty? Definitely it was empty of earth stuff, but it wasn't empty of the presence of God. And darkness, we find, had a very, very, very short shelf life. Um, God's first audible, recordable proclamation, the first line of his magnum opus was, let there be light. Now, the speed of light is faster than the speed uh, of sound. The speed of sound travels at 340 meters per second in, um, in, uh, in, in air, but light travels at 300 million meters per second in a vacuum. This is why you will see lightning before you ever hear lightning. I would think if a person was present in the beginning and they were standing somewhere off to the side, they would have seen the light before they would have ever heard God calling for the light. These words, in the beginning, and let there be light, are assurances. They're assurances which we can place all of our hope and trust 100%. Here are the two assurances. God is present and empty. His signature action is to be present in what appears to be empty. So with God, empty becomes an illusion. Second assurance, that God lights up dark places. His signature words, let there be light, expels darkness. And what I really love about it is that it exposes darkness as a temporary inferior condition to darkness. So with God, darkness has a very short shelf life. I didn't grow up in a subdivision. 
I grew up on a street. I actually had a conversation today. Again, it's Christmas, right? So all the old friends come out of the woodwork with a person I grew up with from little, little on our street, uh, Oakford Avenue, New Egypt, New Jersey. Our house was 29 Oakford Avenue, New Egypt, New Jersey. I still remember my buddy's phone number. I texted it to him. Seven, it was 609-758-2240. I encouraged him to watch today. We'll see if he watches and tells me I can trap him on that if, uh, if he saw that. We lived in a white shotgun house with a basement. But the basement had no interior entrance. It just had an exterior entrance from the back yard. And, um, and it had big almost like bomb shelter-like metal doors that you would open up. Um, I, re- I-, I loved playing in the basement in the summer. It was the place I disliked the most when it got dark, especially in the winter. I can remember the scenario like it was yesterday. I'd come home from school and I got a one hour, hour break before I had to do homework. After my one hour break, I would sit at the kitchen table and I'd begin doing my homework. Mom would be in the kitchen and I would hear this. Charles, I need you to go to the basement and get me blank. This is where she would can, right, tomatoes and vegetables, and and she'd put them in the mason jars in the cellar, and she would ask me to go get those, and I instantly dread came all over me because, in my opinion, that basement was the darkest, scariest place on the planet. Why? Well, first, we had no light in the backyard, The only light in the backyard came streaming through the back kitchen window. Um, Second, the basement itself had no light switch at the top of the stairs. Third, the stairs weren't really stairs. They are more like a fixed incline ladder with the treads being very, very narrow. Fourth, The lone light in the basement was a naked light bulb hanging in the center of the room and you could not reach the string from the last step. I would open those metal doors and I would make as much noise as possible announcing to whoever was hiding in there that someone was coming and that I wanted them to stay hidden until I had finished my task. I was a mess climbing down that ladder getting to the end with now arms flailing, trying to grasp the lone hanging string. But you had to be very careful because I've done this before when I hit the string and did not catch the string. And then I had to stand there in the dark until the string hit me. (laughs) Pull the string, light comes on. Feel a little better about, about things. I'd go over to the shelf. I would take the mason jar off the shelf and then now was for my retreat. And I would grab a hold of that cord and I would stretch it as far as I possibly could, right? I did not know at the time that light travels faster than sound, right? And so my attempt was to pull the light and sprint for the ladder and get to the ladder before the light went off. Of course, that never happened. And I would scurry up the ladder. I've busted a few shins in my time, but I have never, I never lost a vegetable. I was always able to get back up and, uh, and, and deliver and be so excited that I had got back inside the lighthouse. Why are we so afraid of the dark? I think darkness carries with it a very unique dissing kind of presence. Darkness disguises. So it, so it hides and it conceals by nature. 
Darkness disorients. So it, it confuses, confuses movement. It dissuades. I think darkness actually builds an argument against movement. And it discourages. It can discourage the soul. But light, on the other hand, reveals. Right? It illuminates. It chases away shadows. Light orients. It makes paths clear. Light persuades. So, so I think light builds a case for movement. And light just somehow encourages our soul. Darkness infers danger. It elicits fear. But light announces security. And it beams confidence. John's gospel doesn't contain a birth narrative of Jesus. For that, you have to go to Matthew or Luke. What John does, in my opinion, is he builds a birth theology. He doesn't so much um, tell us how Jesus got here as much as he tells us why it mattered. And here's John 1, 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the first thing John establishes in regard to Jesus is his preexistent nature. In the beginning was the word, a synonym, if you will, for Jesus. But he's telling us that his physical birth wasn't Jesus' beginning, it was just his birth, what we call as the incarnation. Um, why a second beginning? Well, this magnum opus is kind of the, it's kind of the second act, if you will, of, uh, of the beginning of the book. The phrase, and made his dwelling among us, can literally, literally read, and he, and he pitched his tent among us. A more modern version says that he became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That's my favorite. That's a really, really, really close presence. So the name of Jesus literally means, Jesus' name literally means salvation. When we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, Emmanuel means God with, God with us. So this is that Jesus brings salvation to us face to face in the flesh. The need for this extraordinary second event was because sin had emptied all of us and sin had darkened the world God had created. 
No other world religion, no pop psychology, no other life philosophy has a God or force like Jesus. No other God gives up paradise to endure what you and I endure. None. No other God or force promises a full present and a secured future. No other God or force comes close to us, can be known by us, none. No other God gives grace for sin. All other gods have to be appeased to stay in their good graces. Most life philosophies either leave our future up to random chance or it depends all on the power inside of us. And I've done a lot of soul searching and I've realized that I need a more secure now and future than chance. The, well, everything happens for a reason, life plan. And I've also lived enough life to know that I'm not strong enough. That whatever light is inside of me ain't light enough. Whatever strength that's inside of me, it's not strong enough. And it doesn't take living a lot of life until you realize that. So it says that Jesus came to us in the flesh and he comes to us full of grace and truth. So what does grace do? Grace saves. What does truth do? Truth frees. So grace saves and truth frees. Grace is something we can't earn. It's completely undeserved. You can only receive grace. Grace, the grace of God is somewhat scandalous because it's a gift that covers all of our sin, but not because we've strived for it or begged for it or somehow performed for it. That's what makes it so scandalous. There is no payment that we can offer for our own sin. We can't on our own get into God's good graces. We surrender ourselves and we receive that from Christ. So again, what does truth do? Truth frees. Truth isn't rules or morals. Truth is literally Jesus. Jesus in describing himself said, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. In fact, that no, the only way to get to the Father is through me. This is who I am. And he also said that when we know the truth, that that truth sets us free. So Jesus isn't an oppressive or restrictive presence. He's a liberating person. He is a redeeming presence. To know Jesus is possible and so that we get to know the truth. Our entire lives can be spent looking for life. We can look for life in our families. We can look for life in our careers. We can look for life in our adventures. And I can assure you that family, career, and adventures are a great way to spend your life. A great way. The problem is they don't bring life. They can offer us a great deal of pleasure, a great deal of joy, a great deal of fulfillment, 
but they don't give us life and they can't lead our lives. Only Christ can do that. He is the only one who can come fill the emptiness that sin left in us. You never know the gifts children's, children want to you, to you ask them. It's always a great question I love around this time of the year when I run into little kids asking them, what do they want for Christmas? And this past week, I ran into an 11-year-old little girl that I, had, I knew a little bit, only met one time. And so I thought she'd be a great example. And I asked her, I said, what are you asking for Christmas? And she said that she was asking for a mini fridge and a ukulele. Those... <laughs> Those were her two big gifts. It was quite a surprise to me. Um, don't think you could guess that that's what your kids want, right? But God knows what each of us need for Christmas. And regardless of where you find yourself, even at what level need you find yourself, what I can assure you is that the grace and truth of Christ are his big gifts, Light exposes, and sometimes when light exposes, it's not a fun experience. But the light of Jesus doesn't expose our dark places to shame us. He, he shines his light in those dark places to free us and show us a way out. The light of Jesus doesn't reveal wounds to harm us. He reveals those things that we stuff down and try to get over. He reveals those to us to heal us. They need the light, his light, to heal us. And so Jesus is the gift from the Father. John, later on in chapter 3, he says it this way. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. And this is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Jesus is the quintessential gift that we receive, full of grace and truth. And God's honest truth to us this Christmas, God is present and empty. His signature action is to be present in what appears to be empty. With God, empty is an illusion. God lights up dark places. His signature words, let there be light, expels darkness and exposes it for what it really is, temporary and inferior. With God, darkness has a short shelf life. And here's, the, here's a third. God's light is eternal in Christ. No matter what light we try to create on our own, we'll not have the longevity or the integrity of the light of Christ. Um, I don't know how many have a Catholic background in here. We usually have quite a few people at Gateway with a Catholic background. Your most likely connection to the phrase, come on up team, um, Hail Mary, 
um, is a football reference, right? So a Hail Mary in a football sense is a desperation, last second forward pass into the end zone. It's called a Hail Mary because it's a low percentage, last second chance to avoid defeat. And unfortunately, this is what too many people consider a prayer. That it's a low percentage, last second chance to avoid defeat. The literal Hail Mary prayer goes like this. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of the womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death, amen. That's a Hail Mary. Now Mary is definitely an integral part of the story, right? But Mary isn't our gift. Our gift is her son. And our prayer then is not a Hail Mary. Our prayer isn't a low percentage last second ditch effort to avoid defeat. Prayer is our first line. It's, it's the first thing that we can grab onto. In any dark, in empty place, prayer becomes our access point to this gift that came in the flesh to us, not some mystical presence, not an ideology, not a fancy philosophy, but God would simplify himself in such a way that we could see him, touch him, know what he could have looked like, what he said, how he sounded. Nobody was present when God said, let there be light in Genesis 1. And yet we get to be witnesses of in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God. And the Word was with God. And nothing that was made was made without Him. He is accessible to each of us tonight. The grace and the truth of God is accessible to you and I. We spend our lives trying to reach and scramble and scrape and God would have been no one we would have ever been able to reach on our own. But we can reach him with a prayer. In a moment, we're gonna light the Christ candle. Ushers will come down. They'll take their candle, uh, their, the, the flame from the Christ candle, they'll walk down each of the aisles and light the candle on the end and you in turn will pass and light the ones next to you. And I invite you to take this holy moment and offer your own prayer. In one regard, you might find yourself in a dark and empty season. My prayer is that the message of Christ today would tell you that that might be a feeling, but it isn't the truth. And that you would leave encouraged 
holding on to the hope of Christ through his word. But you also might not have ever thrown up a hill, Mary, before. You find your place, your, your, your position, and you're in a desperate place. Christmas is a time of year where, I mean, there are parts of the world that ignore Easter, but there's not many parts of the world that ignore Christmas. And you might have tuned in today or come into the room tonight because it was your Hail Mary. And I will tell you that as your candle is lit, you can pray as well. You can receive the gift of light in Christ because it is a reception. It is something we receive. As we get ready to do that, I heard a story on uh, Handel's Messiah that one of the most famous of all pieces of art, of music, that when it was first performed in London, King George II was present. And when they got to the Hallelujah Chorus, traditionally what you see is people stand and the, the, the lore is that King George II stood, that he was the first to stand. And it was reported that he said that when kings walk into rooms, they stay, people stand, this king can stand for the king of kings. So ushers, if you'll come light the candles, I'm gonna ask you to stand as we sing this last song and light our own personal Christ candles. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.